0: Two, ready, one. Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the City of Chicago. Joining me here is the founder of Mission USA, Glenn Fitzgerald.
1: Are we still doing this?
0: Apparently so. Oh, okay. Sisyphean though it is. Okay. Also joining us Jed Brew, Director of Mission USA
2: Productions. Greetings!
0: Joining us all the way from Mercury, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Crash Community Church, Lee Younger.
2: I've been told to be here.
0: It's true. He sounds like he made some kind of Faustian pact. Yeah. I've been told I'm here.
2: It's like
1: a court ordered situation. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Community service. Absolutely. It's either <laughs> this or
0: pick up
2: trash on the side of the road.
0: Nobody throws beer bottles at me here, mostly.
2: Right, I've sorry. got the highly reflective vest on and everything. That's good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd love to get to more of uh, the woes of Lee being forced to do this show. As, some kind of karmic punishment. Yeah. But unfortunately, I have to declare an emergency. What? what? Now, you guys wouldn't believe it, but some people have accused, those of us in this podcast, of giving the church a hard time.
1: Oh, well, that doesn't not, sound like us. No. That's not really true at all, is We it? We
0: celebrate. Yeah. We we want to build up and encourage. Yeah. And, uh, well, I can't <laughs> even... I that, there's, only, there's only a finite amount of lying even I can do. <laughs> yes. I think I hit my limit on that one. But here's the thing. We do want to help out where we can, right? And uh, as we we talked about in the last show, you know, some folks write in and say, kind of leaving my church and looking for what what's what what to do next, and pastors not maybe not handling that very well, and we're we're, we're critical. We we work with a lot of pastors. particularly Glenn counsels them and mm-hmm. at our, our worship service, and I feel I worry that sometimes we do too much criticizing. That's right, and we we don't do enough to try to help. Yes. So tr- the churches around the country is in America. Uh, Numbers are down. Yeah, uh, not looking better. um, And churches want to know what what can we do. Right. And I think we can start by just you know let do some blue sky thinking from the ground up on just what this church experience can be. Right. And what sparked this, I'm gonna be honest, is recently Glenn and Jed had a meeting with a high level denominational official. Yes. Where they made what I think could be a groundbreaking change. To the liturgy that we could all celebrate, and ahead, would you care to share with us?
1: Well, yes, and I think this is going to be inspiring to everybody. Wow, I'm ready to be inspired. Me? So here's what happened. Yeah, so this is one of your biggies in terms of the the denomination, and they have a headquarters where it's like their whole. They they got they're literally all over the planet, and this is their headquarters, and we're sitting down and talking with the with the people. And we won't mention the denomination, but uh, we were helping. Uh, uh,
3: Jed was with me. Yeah, I wasn't helping, but I was there.
0: Well, and <laughs> Jed we were, never helps.
1: We were, we were trying to encourage and uplift and inspire. And uh, so I made a series of suggestions. I think if you concentrated more on this, you would see improvement in these areas. If you did stuff like that, things would improve. And uh then I mentioned a few things that may be holding them back. <laughs> now <laughs> well, and
0: to, to set the scene to be clear, um particularly in this case, and this is to this denomination and this this gentleman you're meeting with, eternal credit, the the focus of this meeting, as I understand it, is we need to do outreach That's right, that's we, right. We're in these neighborhoods. We yep. don't know how to we know how to get Christians who are already Christians in here and Christian right. them up. Right. We don't know how to make new ones. That's right. Glenn and Jed know how to do that. Let's right. invite them in. Yeah. And so you were specifically looking at, here might be some barriers for people who didn't grow up in the church to That's right. get involved and feel comfortable.
1: Right. So so I mentioned a few basic artifacts of Christian culture that don't do anything to help anybody and, and just freak some people out, so I said you know, if you if you did this you'd have more outreach. If you did that you'd have a healthier witness. If you did this you'd have more stimulated activities of things, whatever. Because you're trying to
0: speak their language.
1: But yeah, exactly. But, you know, you'd also be mightily helped if you got rid of the organ and the stained glass and the this and that and you're killing us with all this nonsense <laughs> and uh, one of the things that I mentioned and this the, there, there are a few different denominations that do this but this particular de- denomination does something called genuflecting and what genuflecting is you've seen it a million times on TV it's where a person makes the sign of the cross on, on the front of their torso yeah um, uh, my father used to call that noggin, navel, nipple, nipple
0: sure Sure. Uh,
1: That's a cleaned up version of the very old uh, Spectacles, Testicles, Wallet, and Watch. Yes. Your
0: dad wanted to class it up.
1: He classed it up. Okay. So that's genuflecting. Some denominations do that. And that's part of their rigmarole.
3: Like every time you approach the altar, I think you're supposed to do that. and Like a mild kneel as you do that almost. Yeah, Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And they do all that stuff.
0: Which, and, if you've never seen that before, looks super weird.
1: Yeah, and it's just and and they so you say why do it and they say well we just think it's neato, and that's great. But it's <laughs> you, if you want to bring people not you right, in, right. you do the stuff that's neato for them, yes. not the stuff that's neato for yes. you. <laughs> I,
0: I felt like that was one of those things. Wait, n- so it's for people who aren't me? That's right. Blew my mind. That, so, it's well,
2: well, it's like you're reaching out. That's Is right. that what you're saying? Yeah. There are times when I feel
1: like I must be insulting with my tone because I don't know a, a more respectful way of saying, people, you're just doing this for you and yes. nobody else gets it. And a lot of people are weirded out by it. And why would you do that on that basis? So there was a point where I'm going into an extended rant in the middle of their headquarters (laughs) with the nicest person you've ever met in your life. And I'm saying, you got to, I mean, enough with the altar colors and the stained glass and you're doing this and that, you're genuflecting, and it's, we've all had enough. Just dump it. You don't (laughs) need any of that nonsense. (laughs) And I realized I'm horribly, 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 horribly insulting their whole thing in their headquarters with their own people. And it was like a moment of like, well, maybe maybe that maybe that's much yeah so jed's with me yeah now here's the part that's critical jed's gonna dive in there and save it
0: that really wasn't
3: my goal but sure yes (laughs) (laughs) jed
0: often in these situations it falls to him to be the charm offense that's right there was one time where as i've heard it recounted glenn and jed were at a meeting with a denomination Mm -hmm. and as the meeting rounded into hour three Glenn got up and declared, I'm done meeting now. Yes. And just started <laughs> towards the door. Yes. Leaving Jed in his wake to try to shake hands. Like, very sorry, but we got everything. At which point, Glenn at the door decreed to him, Stop being Christian. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So yes. that's the dynamic. <laughs> yes, that's right. So Glenn thought this was the moment. Jed's going to jump in there and He's smooth gonna it over. It.
1: Yeah. yeah. I yeah. said, You know, not far away with it. Genuine reflecting, You're driving us all crazy with that nonsense. And then there was sort of a long pause <laughs> of, like, we're all letting that that settle in. Of, right. Well, that, you know. So it, it, it's one of those where it got a little away from me at the end there. Sure, sure. It happens. It happens. Well, here's what happens is Jed's going to reel that right back in. Sure, he's sure. going to be okay. the reason. So Jed says to this denominational official, actually, Glenn's working on his own version of, of genuflecting, he calls it glenuflecting.
3: It's at the trademark office right now. Sure, patent so pending.
1: That's how he smoothed it over. Yeah, yeah, and direct uh, mockery. Yeah, and and we evaluated that in the car in the parking lot, and worked out that made it worse. Yes, and we, everything we did was 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 offensive.
0: Yes, sure. But from that open idea, yes. I think there, there's something valuable there. Definitely. These church people wanted to do glenuflecting. Right. It makes them feel at home. It makes them feel comfortable. Right. You're saying, well, that freaks out everybody who doesn't do this. Right. So if we create something new... If we glenuflect. If we if we start glenuflecting, right. then everyone's on the same page.
1: That's right. They come
0: to this church every Sunday for 30 years. Doesn't matter. This is your first week glenuflecting.
1: Right. So yes. we can
0: bring in the new people, and we're all learning together.
1: It could be... Yeah, exactly right. And it could be electrifying.
0: Yes. Absolutely. Uh,
1: what we... You know... Uh, so initially we thought, well, we have just crushed this person's spirit. Yes, who we, we like, who we we love this guy. He's a fantastic, he's a beautiful man. But here, it, it, and he needed to hear it.
0: Sure, sure, and he it, suspected.
1: It, oh yeah, he he knew it was coming, but it's one of those like you know, like you would want it a little smoother, right? <laughs> sure, or a lot smoother. Yeah. And uh, so, and and we tried to smooth it out, and that. Became mockery,
3: as it often does. But, I can't really tell the difference most of the time. Me neither.
0: Yeah. But here's the You're thing both is, too deep in it. You're like undercover cops <laughs> who've gone over to the other side. That's right.
3: Church Scorpio.
0: <laughs>
1: but I think here's the thing: is Matt is giving us an an amazing idea that we could start something new. Sure. And everybody'd be excited about. Yes. it. Yes. So I have a, a an idea on that. But what what are what are the what is everyone else's idea? What glenuflecting might be?
0: Well, we certainly passed before, We and one of the things we really um, focus on at our bridge service, which pays huge dividends, is a greeting right at the door. Yeah. Um, and we found that a lot of churches don't do great at that. There are actually some very prominent denominations who have told Glenn, we actively don't do that because we think people want to feel anonymous and yeah. unseen when they come into church. <laughs> we don't want to freak them out by looking them in the eye. Welcome yeah. to but, the Church
3: of Walgreens.
0: <laughs> but as part of the, I'm not sure if this would itself be glenuflecting, but part of the glenuflecting ethos right. they're trying to establish here, we've, we've talked about if people who don't know how to give a compliment. Right. So we've given them an easy thing of, say a nice thing, offer something of some monetary or physical value, and then leave. right? So you say, I don't know how to be nice to people. You go, so I like your belt. Here's a dime by right. Yes, and you've nice. Yes. That's right. Pleasant interaction. Yeah. So in the same way, I think we get a lot of people who say, well, I wouldn't even know how to, how to welcome someone. And what is that a big deal? And we do. So I think we can give a very simple glenuflection when someone walks in. Like a say, blessing. Yeah. using something along the lines of, we are glad that you are here. Here's an Arby's coupon. There are donuts over there. <laughs> right. Or an Arby's coupon. That feels like more aggressive than maybe not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eat Arby's. Yes. And you say, Hi, welcome to church. I'm glad you came to church. Right. Donuts and coffee. Yeah. I'm going to leave you alone now. Right. And then you turn and the next one comes through and right. you glenuflected them.
3: Yeah. You are here. There are donuts. Goodbye. Yeah. I think that's pretty much it. I that. think
0: part of the glynuflecting ethos has got to be until you've got your head around it, keep it short.
3: Yes. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, here's here's my thought, fellas. I I'm not comfortable with any church-related, uh, uh, you know, doodad as I as I refer to it sure. at this denomination's headquarters. <laughs> you guys got a lot of doodads, yeah,
0: and they do. They
1: do. They know they do. They know they have different
0: colored doodads a, for different seasons of the year.
1: Lots of doodads. The Christmas doodads go on forever. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they go on. They they know it. We got into that too. But here's what happens is, I'm a, I'm not comfortable with any doodad that doesn't involve fireworks. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I think... You, Welcome to church. Here's a sparkler. The, I think that now we're getting warm.
0: Yeah, I like it. You know? So you're talking about, so in a traditional church service you're saying, you know, you might come up for communion or a blessing or somebody you approach the altar and you would, or the mm-hmm. person, the uh, the speaker with the approach would take a knee or something and when you flex. Right. You're saying maybe... You get up, and before this person's going to go deliver the address, they get to the altar, cherry
2: bomb, right. yes,
0: and then they walk up,
2: right? Yeah.
0: Well, it, it would knock off some napping.
2: Yeah. yeah. No. Could I, you that's... just do that? Could, I'm sorry to jump in, but could go you just it. do that kind of like Batman, like he throws down the yeah. the little, and then the oh, smoke you know, bomb the, your way out of the there. Smog, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Smoke bomb your way out. That'd be yeah. pretty good. If May you the Lord bless and keep awkward... you.
3: Smoke bomb. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> if
2: if you get into an awkward conversation with somebody at church. Then you just, you have your glenuflecting you smoke bomb. Pow. Right.
0: I love this. Yeah, yeah, I think good. Lee has broken the whole thing wide open. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about getting into a situation is something we can easily train people to do. We do it at the bridge. Uh, Jed's wife Hallie does an amazing job in a very short amount of time orienting our host team to say here's how you do the greeting. Here's how you serve people. Here's why. And just gives them an amazing picture. And Our host teams all go out and do a great job. They give them that. But I think where glenuflection can address some situations that are needed is as a lifeline, as a, this has gone poorly. Right. (laughs) So I'm going to pick up the child from the child care. Well, how did they do? Well, they assaulted another child with a stuffed giraffe. That was pretty much the last 20 minutes. There's no good answer for that. Yeah, right. So you as the parent can say, well, I'm going to take that set off a loud, a flashbang-styled device, <laughs> right. yeah. and then flee. Yes. Okay, I understand. That's right.
1: You got to make a Christian, though. Right. Sure. So you say, God bless you, <laughs> yeah, there
0: you you're out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know
1: what I'm saying? Yep. Got to make a Christian.
0: Well, when someone, as we mentioned in the last uh, episode, something that often you'll hear in church something about not my job or whatever, yeah. which means I don't know how to do that. Right. right. So if a person comes into a counseling appointment and says, well, you know, it's a thing within... The, and it was adultery, and it turned out to be a cousin, and then they got you know, fled the country and the whole thing. And you're the, the, the associate pastor, you've never been trained to do this, right. say, well, we'll be praying for you. Poof! And yeah, run. Right.
3: Yes. That's right. Glenn, yes. you flex your way yeah. out. Of yeah. That's Go get good. help.
0: I think this is going to revolutionize church. That's right. Yeah. That's
3: right.
0: Wow. Now, here's the thing, and this is, this is key to the, to the Fitzgeraldian ethos. Right. You're not allowed to be offended when someone glenuflects you. That's right. This is an acknowledgment of this is not going well. Right. <laughs> I'm going to detach, and no hard feelings.
1: Yeah. Look, if I've learned anything, it's if a human being makes up a random church thing, you can't be against it. Absolutely. That's, that's,
0: <laughs> see, now we're starting to use the system for our own purposes. Yeah,
1: that was amazing. You you can't be against it. I I know that for sure. This is a random Absolutely. church thing. You have you to you have
2: to be on it. A, a classic Jed Brewer quote, uh, cleaned up a little. Church people love church stuff. They really yep.
0: do. I love it. We. Well, did you just throw a smoke bomb in the middle of our church and run away? Uh, (laughs) Glenuflecting is a proud and storied tradition of my spiritual life.
1: That's right. That's 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 what we're doing as a denomination now.
0: I think it's great. And on that very, very spiritual note, I declare emergency off. (laughs) (laughs)
1: It's
0: gone. Now, of course, at some point in the near future, once we get this off the ground, yeah. We will we'll do an instructional video. We will send out kits with your Glenuflection smoke bombs, which we'll put a little cross on. That's <laughs> right? fine. Yeah, yeah. we um, put a WWJD one. Sure, yeah. Which wears a smoke
1: bomb. We're, we're marketing these things. Oh, I no assume. doubt. I mean, we got to get in on that racket. But
0: uh, for, to get on the crest of the wave, first instruction, I think we will launch with a How to glenuflect Bridge Box. Yes. Maybe nice. some some nice pop songs. Maybe our friend the Pulaski Guru will... Descend from his Tibetan manner and create a nice, catchy beat to which we can put some glenuflection instructions.
3: Well, in the spirit of glenuflection, we have to have a song with a not very good chorus. And we realize that at the very end,
0: <laughs> it and then it's a smoke bomb sound that's done. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Perfect. Uh, you know, Glenn
0: and I will break it down some sermons that we'll record and we'll, we'll put together a nice little nice Bible study given the, the, the spiritual and uh, scriptural underpinnings of glenuflecting and why no one's ever allowed to be mad at it because we put Bible on it. Right. So that works totally. And if you want to wait and be ready for that day, when that's all coming, you can have it dot missionusa.com slash bridge box and, uh, glenuflecting or not, you know, who never will need the glenuflect because they do such a great job. That'd okay. be our deacons. Ooh. Oh, they just nail it. I've never seen a conversation where they weren't getting somebody some help getting some people to, uh, to recovery meetings or getting people housed, getting people jobs doing all sorts of great work, which is entirely funded by your bridge box donation. So check that out again missionusa.com com slash bridge box and i'm gonna segue out of my segue Ooh. we're gonna jump to our first question here which is the topic of our march 2018 bridge box noise so this is a question that came into glenn's blog and we we thought it was a great um topic to cover at the bridge and some bridge box stuff and we focused. um on a certain aspect of it. This, and you'll hear the question and we put some part of that, but this is the full question as it came in that we want to get a little more into the specifics of, which wouldn't have necessarily made sense to do in a bridge box context. I want to get this person and a lot of people have been through this kind of the full answer. So the question that came in says this. So I just confessed to a close Christian friend, my struggle with pornography as a result of sexual abuse and rape in my past. Probably the hardest thing I've ever done, but I did it. Now what? Like, what should I do now? any advice. So when we looked at this, the bridge and stuff where corporate bridge box and the songs that Jed and Lee and our friends put together, we we looked at the specific aspect of, I admitted something I'm ashamed of that has been a source of shame in my life. And I felt the freedom of that, but now what, what's this next step? And Glenn, we, again, we looked at bridge box, we looked at that in the show, but let's wind it back a little bit here. And there's some, things uh, our friend says in the the question that I think are worth investigating and really pulling out before we get to look at that. Now what? And maybe let's start with this idea of the porn and the, the sexual assault being combined in a way that may not be exactly accurate.
1: Well, yes. I mean, here's the thing. There's a, uh, there is a tendency and I'm speaking broadly here and and certainly a counselor can give you much more accurate and uh, useful information on this, but broadly speaking, uh, people who've been through a, a sexual assault type of situation uh, tend to drift to either a sort of a hypersexuality, or the other extreme of of just not wanting to be around that because there's a negative association with that. Uh, so there is a, a reason to suspect that that could be connected uh, together, and that would be a, not at all unheard of. So so we're we're going to acknowledge that could be there but i want us to look at i want you to look at uh are we sure that that's the case because here's the thing some people who have um uh where they're introduced to sexual stuff too early in their life it changes their views of sexual stuff and it and and as we're saying here get some involved in that a bit more than uh other people uh and they get they get fixated on on pornography and that kind of stuff, as you're pointing out here here 's another group of people who are really fixated on pornography people who have not been through sexual assault either. yes so uh the the uh, so we may be creating a narrative there uh in in using in, in connecting those two things together and here 's why i 'm suggesting that we look at that is because regardless of whether those are connected or not, we really want to separate them out and deal with them separately because yeah. they're very different issues. I mean, you would say, well, there is a sexual component to both of these things, and that is that is not the essential thing on either one of those things. Yeah. If you If you look at somebody who really is overusing pornography, for example... And you ask them why are you doing that? What what is just before you get into using that, what's going through your mind? They will say, I am bored, I am stressed out, I'm lonely, I'm lonely, those kinds of things. I failed at something, I feel like I just need a little something for myself, etc. and so on. So that's not a sexual problem at all. This sex is just a thing we're using to address a deeper problem. Uh, Likewise, uh, with sexual assault, that's about power and and dominance, and and obviously it's a profoundly poor mental health on that other person's part. Uh, Sex is just the way that that's exhibiting itself, and so uh, that isn't uh, in any way connected to or analogous to to, uh, consenting adults enjoying a sexual experience with one another. They're just not related in that sense.
0: Yeah, some some people who deal with that would say that the, uh, that act is a sexualized act of violence. It is not a violent expression of sexuality. Exactly right.
1: That's a good way to put it. So ultimately, uh, all of this points back towards the idea of shame in terms of how that affects your spiritual life. Because there's a tendency for any of us to experience a, a, a violation as extreme as what you've Experience to look at yourself and say, "Did I bring this on myself? Was I a party to this? Was there something about me that this person identified me and did it to me instead of someone else?" And so that we're internalizing that we're put, we're blaming ourselves in some sort of way or or what have you, when that needs to be externalized. This person has a problem. This person did a thing because this person is 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 sick in their mind. And that person should have 100% of the blame and 100% of the responsibility for what he has done. So um, I think, so, so there should be no shame involved with that at all uh, in terms of, if you are one of those really unusual people that likes to look at naked people on the internet. Unthinkable.
3: Unthinkable.
1: Uh, you may feel like you should be ashamed of that, except for the person you were telling, likes it just exactly as much as you do, and does it just as often as you do, most likely. And the same is true for everyone sitting on your 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 row in church, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is the human condition. We like seeing other people naked. This is. Those tens
0: of thousands of websites aren't for you specifically. It turns out there's higher demand than that.
1: That's right. So um, I think the the first thing, and I'll send it around to these other guys, uh, the first thing is getting away from that shame and just scrubbing that out of every last element of this because it just simply does not belong anywhere in there. You're a survivor. You're an overcomer. You're Amen. owning all of this stuff. You're taking responsibility for this, and you're, you're doing what you can to move forward. You should not be ashamed of any component part of that.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly the perfect place to start. There's a lot of great stuff. And, Lee, I'd love to get to you here because exactly as Glenn's saying there, the way he ended tied back to something he said at the beginning to me, which is we need to get, when we're looking at that, we need to see ourselves in the exact way he's described. We need to see this as an opportunity to keep driving forward. And that ties into, back to what you were saying about kind of connecting uh, the sexual assault and the porn thing. Because one of the other things that had in common was you felt ashamed of both of them. Mm-hmm. And part of what, as you're saying, you know, we need to investigate that, we need to look at that, that's a big part of what getting rid of that shame helps us do, is see all these things more clear-headedly. And Lee, so let's look at the, the question is posed. And we have that first big breakthrough on we've been vulnerable to someone, we've, we've put it out there, the sky didn't fall. Hopefully they were even cool about it and were honest back with us. So now we know that this is not going to be the end of the world. This is something we can do. So where do we use that momentum next? What do we go with that to start this process of looking at these things the way Glenn's describing?
2: Well, um, I, that's a great way to 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 frame that question. I think one of the things that we definitely want to say is that we're proud of you for your bravery and vulnerability to to open this up and and yeah. and uh, and to talk about this and to and and to start investigating some of this um, one thing that 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 Glenn said early on uh, that we need to go back and, and and just kind of expand on a little bit is you know in the idea of separating these things out, we definitely want to make sure that we 're talking to a counselor about what happened to you. Uh, talking to a, prof- a professional person, and you, you know, um, check with your healthcare provider, and and and, and you know, and, and look around for a person that that has exp- like professional experience in dealing with your type of situation, so that you can so that you can tell this story in this in the kind of safe environment with somebody who's equipped to handle. This story. Um, the other thing I would say is, when you have the courage to be vulnerable with somebody, that is an absolute superpower. And the very next thing that we need to ask is, what happened next when you share your when you shared your story with whomever that was? How did they handle that? Did they handle that well? Like did and like just like Matt's asking when he says when Matt said hopefully they they know how to be and they they did that moment well. If they didn't, what you need to do is not talk to that person about this any longer. Yeah. Because uh they are not going to help you move forward in exactly the ways that Glenn was talking about they're not going to they're not going to be able to help you uh push aside the shame and and you know come up with good strategies and tactics for for how to how to deal with this stuff next exactly as Matt said hopefully they know how to be and that they were honest about themselves as well cuz just as these guys are saying this is this is a struggle that is ubiquitous i mean this is everybody is dealing with this in some way and so hopefully what happened is that you were vulnerable, you shared this story, and this person uh, across the table from you said, that makes sense. Um, I know exactly how that struggle feels. Um, Let's walk through this together and support each other and hold each other up. If that is the kind of response you got, then you you have shared this with the right person. So before we figure out what the next steps are, we've got to we've got to ask the question, how did that person that I opened up to handle that moment? Did they handle that moment well? And if they didn't, um I would strongly suggest that you push push on towards somebody else. If this is somebody that you really care about and they didn't handle it well and you want to to help them grow in that, all right. Let, you can give them another chance, and you can kind of talk to them about that. But my strong suggestion would be, let's push on to somebody else, somebody that knows how to be, especially somebody that knows how to be honest about their own self. That's the kind of person that can really partner with you to help you take the next steps towards freedom from this other, from some of this other stuff.
0: Yeah, that's a really great place to take this. And Jed, I'd love to... Uh get to close this out by let's look at if we're going to take that very good advice that Lee gave us to t- start talking to people who are going to be helpful in this. And that hopefully will include a professional counselor. And if that seems like an intimidating step to you, you don't know how you would do that. You don't know how you would start to look for that email us. We're happy. We're happy to help with that. And there's, there are almost certainly sliding scale and low cost providers in your area. And there's, there's, it's not as hard a thing to do if you never, as it might seem, if you've never done it. But let's start looking at some things we can start to look at in our own life. We've, we've gotten rid of the shame. And one of the things is Lee's pointing out there that shame does no matter what the shame about shame and guilt will always limit our universe. You've said that many times that uh, shame and guilt just kind of bar you off from good things. They tell you a narrative about yourself. So as part of casting that aside and the effects of that aside how do we look to start opening up those possibilities that we were, kind of weren't seeing before?
3: It's a great question. Well, here's a, a cool thought experiment to take is to say, is to start asking, what have I been using? So you used you, to you have a struggle with pornography and I wanted to know what do I do now, is to take a thought experiment and say, what have I been using pornography as a substitute for, Right. Most sin is substitute behavior,
2: Amen. right? Amen, that's Like,
3: right. you know, um, you lie as a substitute for facing reality. Facing reality is really hard, and it's really scary, and I don't want to. So instead, I will lie. Uh, it's a substitute. Well, actually, it turns out for most people most of the time, porn is the same thing. You know, I mean, I need to lead a, a lower stress life. I don't really know how to do that. I'm going to look at some porn, you know? I need a circle of friends just to hang out with and just, you know, have fun with. I don't really know how to do that or how to find that or how to hook that up. I'm going to look at some porn. You have almost certainly been using porn, at least in some ways, as substitute behavior. Now, it could be, say, well, actually, I just, I kind of like sex. Okay. Are you doing anything that might in the future lead to having actual sex with an actual human being? Have have we been using porn as a substitute? Preferably one you're married
0: to. There, we said it. <laughs>
3: Have have we been using porn as a substitute for investing in dating and building dating relationships and and pursuing that? But I think you owe it to yourself to do that thought experiment and kind of write that down a little bit. You know, what have I not been doing? What have I been using porn as a substitute for? And then start investing in those things. Figure out what's the one next step. So let's say that it is, you know, no, I'm actually pretty interested in sex. I just, you know, this feels like an easy way to to hook that up. Um, What's one step? that would get you down the road of getting a dating life. You know, maybe that's you know, looking, you know, finding out when's the next free weekend on eHarmony. You know, maybe that's figuring out, does your church have a singles mixer? But what's the one next step? One of the most powerful things in the world for getting where you're going and for dealing with shame at the same time is momentum. If you can look at yourself and say, I'm in motion— I am on the journey to get to the place that I want to be to. You're going to feel positive off of that. You're going to feel energized off of that. And it's so hard for shame to stick its tendrils into you when you've got that sense of momentum. Yeah. It just, man, it's like being coated in Teflon. That's so, so good. So that's the thing we want to encourage you to do is, figure out what have I not been doing? Because I was using porn as a substitute. How do I invest in that and start taking those steps? We love you. We've got your back.
0: Absolutely. That is really fantastic. So I'll close this out by tying that into this idea of narrative that we've looked at on the show before. Because one of the things that Shane does is it gives you a very convenient narrative yep. about yourself that you can kind of fit all stimuli and is- issues into. Um, so let's say, and again, I'm not, I'm with Glenn, I'm not entirely sure that there's a link, a causal link between the abuse and pornography. But again, we're not licensed counselors and we don't know your situation in depth. But let's say... You had a, a, a bad sexual encounter, an, an encounter of abuse, and part of the narrative of that was I am, to use a term that I hate dearly, but we've heard a lot of people say, "damaged goods." So something, as as Jed is saying, I'm substituting uh, pornography and shame for healthy relationships and seeing myself in the way. Uh, that is not one thing. That is not a, a, a search and replace, as Jed's describing. That is a narrative that we got to start picking at, and that is going to involve sex stuff. That's going to involve spiritual stuff. That's going to involve theological stuff. It's going to involve self-esteem, self-esteem stuff. But the closer we get to those root ideas of, I was very ashamed of things I've done or things that have been to me, so I decided I was this kind of person. And then what often happens is I start doing the kind of things I think this kind of person would do. So when I'm getting rid of that shame and that clouds parting, part of, what we, part of what we can look at is saying that, okay, here's who I actually think I am. and It's, it's good to get a mentor. It's good. This is a very good use of scripture as opposed to I'm um, just throwing random Bible facts at people to say, this the you know, uh, word says I'm forgiven and that all the blessings that God has are open to anyone or open to me. So then how do I start living as that kind of person? So as we gain more insight, investigate these things as these guys have decided we'll find that i think we'll find as just when i heard that shame not only is not helpful in that as you start to get that momentum he's talking about going shame just doesn't have a place in that and we're starting to do a whole new thing which is definitely something god wants for you definitely something we want for you all right we're gonna go our second question here this one came in anonymously and it says you guys talk about how pastors using guilt to manipulate is not okay how do i know where the line is Sometimes my pastor will do things like bring up the gory details of the crucifixion kind of out of nowhere, like it's not a Good Friday or an Easter sermon or anything. It seems like he wants us to really feel bad for how much Jesus suffered for us, but he's also just describing what happened in the Bible. Is that manipulation? That is a really interesting question, and Lee, why don't you start us off?
2: Uh, Glad to. So, well, this is... In some ways, this is one of those situations where I can't really make a call on on uh, on the sermon without hearing it. I, I will say this: the Bible does not go into the gory details of Jesus's sufferings. It doesn't go into a ton of detail. One of the reasons that may be is because they saw that stuff all the time. They 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 didn't need to have that explained. That was their that was their reality. They they knew what. Was entailed in all of that. That was that was something everybody was familiar with. But it does just say that that you know Jesus endured the flogging, he endured crucifixion, um, and and I will say this also. Throughout all of Jesus's sufferings and all the things that that happened to him, that he allowed to happen to him, there was only one time in all of it that he called a time out, and that was when um, some people were feeling sorry for him. So. If you have a situation where somebody's motivation in preaching is to make you feel bad for Jesus, um, then we can say that is the wrong way to talk about the crucifixion of Jesus. Because that was the one time that Jesus stopped everything, said, hold on, hold on, we're not doing that. Um, I, I'm, I, he said earlier in the book of John, he said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I, I have the power to lay it down and the power to take it up again. Um, but I think there's a deeper question here. And the deeper question is, what is the point of preaching? What are we, what are we trying to do here? Uh, what, what if, if we are, if, if we're telling somebody something about the scriptures, why are we doing that? And, if I'm trying to give you good news and I'm trying to help you, then I definitely don't want to uh, get into a situation where I'm just telling you um you know some some really really sad, awful things and piling on so that you feel bad about it. I think that sometimes um uh, folks can feel like uh, well I, i've heard I've heard comedians talk about the fact that, like, if they're really dying in a room, um, they don't have the room with them, that kind of thing, then they'll go to certain kinds of jokes, certain kind of uh, lower level humor, and, you know, use certain kinds of curse words and stuff like that, just to get kind of a rise out of the room. They're just trying to get the effect. And um, and and they'll kind of know, that's when that's when I've kind of lost the room, if I can keep everybody without having to do that. And so sometimes it, it could be that somebody's just they just feel like I don't have this. I'm I'm going for this kind of a thing. I want to elicit this emotional response or whatever. But a, a good preaching. What we're trying to do is we're trying to encourage. We're trying to give good news. We're trying to help you overcome a problem. We're trying to answer a question. All of those things. And so we want to make sure that if if we do it, you know, if we're listening to a sermon or if we're, if or if we're in a position of giving one. That we're not trying to manipulate emotions. That we're that's that's not our goal here. We don't want to make somebody feel bad in the middle of good news. We want to make sure that people understand that, like the book of Hebrews said, that Jesus endured what he did for the joy set before him. He endured the cross and scorning the shame.
0: That's a really I think it's a fantastic place to start this off. And Glenn, I'd love to get to you. Um, so I think Glenn's and Lee here has given us a very important kind of line of that's. This is not going to be anything that's ever entirely black and white. I mean, right. If you do four minutes on the crucifixion, that's cool. If you do five, then you're mm-hmm. the term we you, you use when you coach pastors milking it, right? But there's some stuff we can look at here that is: Are you describing an emotional thing that right. is emotional to tell, We'll take you even away from the crucifixion to tell the story of the prodigal son in an emotionless way would be counterproductive and weird, right? That's an emotional story, right? So where maybe where do we if we can look at what's the difference between someone in your opinion somebody who coaches a lot of preaching someone looking at the emotion inherent in something versus as lee's pointing out here someone trying to inject emotion in a way that's supposed yeah. to get a certain response they're looking for, which is a lot closer to manipulation
1: well it it is really in manipulation territory and that's the that's a problem uh you know i think you know i think fundamentally i i think that Lee is exactly correct to point us back to what's the bigger purpose here. Mm-hmm. Because there there are points where I am saying, let's put it this way, I have preached in front of people, and I am saying amazing stuff. I mean amazing. And they are not getting it, and they are not feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the reason why, is because I'm not explaining this well, and I'm not bringing it out very well.
0: Now, Glenn, uh, as someone who's done a the preaching and talked to people about preaching, are you sure that they're just not blinded by their sin to your amazingness, and if they were better people, they would appreciate your sermons more? Yeah, no,
1: that, I'm, I'm sure that's not it, actually. Mm. Yeah. But here's the, here's the other side of that, is that there are times when I have found myself sort of drifting into territory where I am not saying anything, but I'm saying it in a certain sort of emotionally laden way, and I'm getting a big response from the crowd.
0: Well, to, to, you're exactly right. To go back to Lee's analogy about comedy, we've all maybe heard comedians who aren't telling any jokes, right? but they're saying things in a cadence of joke and getting laughs. Right. And if you start listening for it, there's a lot of preachers who do the same thing, as yeah. you're pointing out.
1: Well, that's right. And what, what ends up happening is I'm, 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 uh, I'm provoking a response, but I'm, I'm not saying anything of any mm. importance. Uh, I've gone down that road in in the long history of my own ministry career, and uh, and nothing good comes of that. So, what I'm always telling pastors is: first and foremost, we're not doing this to get a reaction. We're doing this in order to set people free. Right, Uh, and that's again that speaks to what Lee's talking about. What's the point? What's the purpose of the sermon? If it's not setting people free, it doesn't matter whatever else you're doing. Now, there's a reality here, if we're putting left and right limits, I do a lot of explaining what the crucifixion is to people who don't know what it is. So you you end up going into detail that, that is pretty graphic or whatever, because if you just don't know what it is, it's hard to explain mm. it in a way that is it isn't graphic. And it's also no small thing, so you you don't want to intentionally diminish it and and, and, and prettify it or something and, and, and whitewash it or something like that. That would be bad. But if you know the story of the crucifixion and I'm piling it on, I'm saying, hey, like, you know, it was bad. It was real bad, okay? It's like things happened and it was bad and it was horrible and it's bad because of sin like the sin that you did when you looked at that thing on the internet. You're probably it, the kind of jerk that doesn't think it's that bad. That's right. You know, that you're, <laughs> dude, you're, you, that's full-on manipulation. That's 100% of what that is. But I would say, broaden this out. Anything that any pastor is saying under any circumstance where he's stirring an emotion, but he's not setting you free from anything, yeah. that yeah. is going to be a manipulation. Almost every single time.
0: If the end goal is feel this emotion.
1: That's right. If the end goal is feel this emotion, but you're not saying something that sets me free, you're, you're, you're manipulating me with hype or fear or shame or guilt or yeah. religious fervor yeah. or whatever, but you're not helping me mm-hmm. because I'm stuck on something. I have a struggle. I have an issue. I'm so mad at this guy and he did something wrong and I just can't let it go. Preach the sermon that that helps me figure out how to let that go. Everything else is nonsense. Everything else is useless to me. I can't. I'm not getting anything out of this till I, you know, I, I can't grow in any other area till I get past this thing that I'm stuck on. If you get a lot of emotion about the crucifixion, and and let me just very quickly tack this on. Sure. Here's another thing about preaching. When I get close to the thing that you need to change. That room will get
4: quiet. Man,
1: how? Mm. Yes. And their quietness is saying, don't say that because I need to change that and I don't want to hear it. When you say something that has nothing to do with their problem. Oh, amen.
3: That's a good word, pastor. You know what? God is good.
1: Amen. He's good all the time. Oh. <laughs> and all the time god is good oh. i've
3: often thought that pastor
1: i've heard that 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 there's almost nothing to what i just said there i've heard that preaching in church many times and i've seen people lose their mind saying amen to that sure because here's what they're trying to tell that pastor please stay off of my issue and talk well, about random nonsense churchy feelings churchy oh, let's feelings get some churchy yeah. feelings so that's you know uh they will uh, an audience will manipulate a pastor and into not getting onto their thing wow. just in just that same way. Yeah. So it's really about, are, am I saying the words that set people free? I
0: think mean, that's that's fantastic. And um, as you may have guessed, Glenn really knows his stuff and does a lot of coaching the pastor. So if you want to hear some of what we talk about when we talk about preaching, apply, you can check out our Bridge podcast. that comes out every Monday. You'll get a lot of Glenn's preaching, a lot of my preaching, and um, everything I know from preaching I just stole blatantly and shamelessly from Glenn. So it's almost like hearing Glenn sermon. But if you want to hear this kind of exactly as he's talking about uh, audience reaction, and the way we kind of do it, that's a good uh, way to kind of listen to this and then flip it over to that. So, Jay, I'd love for you for you to close this out here and let's let's look at this in the larger context because mm. as Glenn points out, there, there's a phrase we use a lot in uh, when we're pre- doing our preaching or talking to pastors, and their phrase is like milking something or maybe overcooking something, sure. Which as Glenn is pointing out that happens a lot. You'll say, yeah. you know, when I wrote this down, I assumed this would be the moment where they would all. Rise up as one and declare me king, yes, and then i would then I would move on to my next point, so if I don't get that i so there's an in, there's an instinct to put your shoulder into it a little yeah. harder because my next point is incumbent on you really losing your mind over this point yes but so and to say that it's a good point out everyone does that, um particularly when they're learning, but even seasoned people will just kind of do a thing like that, so how can we look at the context of what this pastor? is doing as a pastor. Yeah. And look at that inform, let it, that inform whether or not this is a dude trying to manipulate us or just a guy who's overcooking
3: something a little sure, bit. Sure. That's a great question. Well, let's start here. Does this pastor know your name? Ah. Wow. Cause he, he kind of can't be your pastor if he doesn't know your name. Right. So that's, that's a good first check. The second question then would be is this pastor generally speaking meeting your needs to be fed spiritually to be equipped for the work God has for you to be encouraged in making changes and doing the work God's calling you to do. If he knows your name and he's making sure that you're spiritually fed and equipped and encouraged, you've got a pretty amazing pastor. That's that's really really good. And we can be understanding about some not perfect preaching from time to time. If he doesn't know your name, a he's not your pastor um if he's not equipping you and he's not encouraging you and he's not feeding you spiritually you need to go somewhere else it kind of doesn't matter what his intentions were in this particular moment it that doesn't really make any difference to be clear there are amazing pastors who overcook things and overdo things in sermons from time to time you know um I was thinking when I was reading this question, um, this is a different cultural context, but two of the finest pastors and men of God I know. I have heard them both preach sermons where, apropos of nothing, they have gone off on tirades about young people with the sagging pants. (laughs) Here's the thing. um, You're not the fashion police. Um, This is completely irrelevant. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. The (laughs) fact that you feel strongly about it is irrelevant. That's Um, correct. You feel strongly about it. You have some older people in your congregation that agree with you. It has nothing to do with anything. You know what it has to do with the fact that the preaching slot in your Sunday service is 30 minutes long, which is way too long for any one person to talk under any circumstances. (laughs) That's what it has to do with. Two of the finest men of God I know, two of the finest pastors I knew, two of the finest preachers I know, from time to time, they will get off on a tangent that is just, what are you talking about?
0: (laughs) And, guys, as you're pointing out, who aren't like the super straight-laced, never did anything wrong, if anything, very much the opposite— yeah, there's just this one super weird thing they're intent on overcooking.
3: Exactly right, exactly right. But the big picture thing here is what really, really matters. If you were in either of those men's churches, they would know your name. They would make sure you were fed spiritually. They would make sure you were equipped. They would make sure that you were encouraged. They would generally preach pretty good sermons. There would be moments where you go, I, mm, "We we hear mo- moving on." Yeah. Moving on, that's a, that's okay. We can we can live with that. You know, the, the 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 key thing here is proportion. If we've got a good pastor who's doing a good job, you should cut him some slack. That's not an easy job. If you have someone who is not your pastor who is giving you a guilt message, you should find a different church.
0: Yeah, that's a really great point. I think, and it's it's worth pointing out is there. We think a lot around here about the differences. Uh, between kind of what we do in kind of a missions context and a church sermon. And there are some important differences which we need maybe need to give some pastors some slack on. Um one is Jed is pointing out is just length. Yeah. Um if you're given an eight to ten minute sermon, there shouldn't be a lot of faffing about, as Glenn would put it, because we gotta keep the main thing the main thing here. If for some reason, some reason born in the bowels of the deepest hell, we've decided this slot has to be 40 minutes to an hour. There's just going to be a lot of weird stuff in there. Yep. There's going to be a lot of tangents, <laughs> be a lot of they are almost necessarily, if you're going to talk for 45 minutes, there's going to be some weird personal yep. rabbit hole. You're going to go down and you can do what I do when I'm forced to and take a little me- three minute mental vacation <laughs> and just say, ah, oh. and then when you hear a word about something, Bible struggle, something that indicates we're back on the topic, you can snap back too. That's just a little tip that I'm going to pass along to you, the podcast listener. But the other one is, so the way the bridge works, you listen to a bridge podcast, you've heard this, and we have talked about the show, is we're talking about a topic somebody in the room has put in the box. So again, our first question tonight, a very good example of something that is a bridge-like topic. Um, A couple months ago, you may have heard this bridge podcast, we had, how does God feel about prostitutes? That sermon, Glenn and I both preached in a room where many people had taken that particular professional avenue at some point. And that really sharpens the mind.
1: <laughs> um, you, you do focus on saying the right thing the right
2: way. Yeah. yeah.
0: And not saying the wrong thing, just mm-hmm. as critically. But say that if you go to a mainline Protestant denominational church, the way your preaching probably works is what they call exegetical preaching, which is we picked a, a book of the Bible. And we're just going to start saying neato stuff out of it. And that can be very cool. If you have, as we pointed out on the show before, if you have a small group or sitting down with a mentor or a pastor who's walking you through your stuff, here's what the Bible says about Acts, and here's what we find as we deep dive into it. It can be very useful and very interesting. But again, that's almost always going to lead to, here's a little pet thought I have and a little thing. It's driving me, as Glenn pointed out when we were talking about clintinflecting, Uh, much past we were going to say, it drives me crazy that the people in this church aren't committed and aren't volunteering. And I put out a thing for kids volunteers and nobody wants to do it. And that drives me utterly insane. So if something about the cruc, about the sacrifice Jesus made comes up in the book of John, as I'm walking through it, I might just put my foot in that a little
2: extra because you know, Lean in. You
0: know who wasn't sleeping in?
2: <laughs> Jesus. We have heard of punishment. him.
0: Punishment. Now, some of you think the 9 o'clock Sunday school hour is too early to be here. Right. But he was up with the sun Bleed. Right. You know, what What? pastor up The capillaries in his forehead burst in the garden, and he was so right. taken. He wasn't napping. He wasn't sleeping in. That's right. right. <laughs> so, But as Jed's saying, if this is a dude who's in your life, he's doing stuff, we can forgive him a little bit because the job of head pastor is insane making on some level. But to take us back to, to the point of the question and what Glenn was saying, that idea of just feel bad or feel hyped up or feel whatever. And then I don't give you anywhere to go with that.
2: Just feel
0: it. That's kind of the definition of manipulation. And I I will point out, we don't, that doesn't need to be manipulation does not have to have some dark ill intent. Right. That's right. It, It doesn't have to be, you know, here's a, profound and medical biopsy of exactly what, uh, someone, a flail does to the skin. And, you know, his spinal column was exposed rubbing against the rough hewn cross. And right as soon as I'm done with that, by the way, now we're passing the plate. Yeah. That's a little bit of an obvious manipulation. A less obvious manipulation is that, and kind of, so come on guys, we can all be better Christians because of the torture. That's the main thing about Christianity is torture and again that's not as big a red flag we want to pull some rough and red limits here that could be someone having a bad day that could be i have and we all have given sermons it just kind of got away from us yes <laughs> but if that's a of a, a kind of a recurring theme of here's a big feeling and feel it super hard and that's all i got this is a manipulative environment in some way and we want to we want to certainly be aware of that and look at that. But we want to look at it, as all as always get pointed out, in the larger context of what is this church doing? So we're going to move on to our final question here. Came in anonymously, and it says, I know I'm supposed to have peace and to be content in God, but I'm also supposed to always keep growing and running the rates. So how do I do both at once? And Jed, why don't you start us off?
3: Well, you know, just speak for my own life here for a second. Personally, I'm actually most contented when I am growing. Um, When I've got seasons in my life where I can see small incremental improvements in in a couple of areas, and I can see a path to continue doing that, I can see a path how I could continue to, to, to grow and refine and improve, I get a real sense of joy out of that. Yeah, I think that's a really
0: great point. And maybe a good place to uh, fold this in would be, why don't you, in in that sense, give us kind of your personal working definition of contentment? Ah. So I think part of what's going on this year, a lot of people think of contentment as sitting in a hammock beside a stream. And that doesn't sound like that's what you're talking about.
3: Sure. No, that's good. That's real, real good. So contentment is, let's talk about what contentment is not for a second, because uh, that might be even more useful. Contentment is not the belief of, all I need is Jesus. Uh, because that's like actually not true in any way. You you need food. You need water. You need oxygen. Right. Um, you money. you need you need money. Uh, you need a roof over your head. Jesus said, "Man does not live by bread alone." He did not mm. say you just don't need bread. Yeah, that's uh, there there's you know, popular thing floating around online that I saw recently and said you know until um until all we need is Jesus you know it will, we'll never have enough. That's that's not how life works, man. You know, I mean uh. you God put you in a world where you have physical needs, you have emotional needs. And actually, again, this is, this is a good reminder, before sin entered the picture, God designed an existence where he himself wasn't enough, um, where we were meant to live in community with other human beings. God designed it that way on purpose. So contentment is not a lack of need. We want to be crystal, crystal clear on that. Contentment is also not never having negative emotions, because uh, that's that's not how life works. Everybody has, everybody experiences sadness. Um, everybody, um, um, everybody experiences. Uh, down days and, and down weeks, everybody experiences frustrations, everybody experiences setbacks and disappointments those are Those are all part of the normal human experience in the world that that we live in. I think contentment at least to me, is a big picture sense of is there something that i 'm waiting for in my life in order to be okay at a fundamental level. I give you an example of what I mean. When you look at people who are working very, very hard on their careers, you know, they're hard chargers and type A and super driven, maybe not for all of them, but for a lot of them, there's a belief of I'm not really okay until I get that C-suite job. I'm not really okay until I have that degree with the letters after my name. I'm not really okay until my name's in the paper. Contentment is saying I'm okay right now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fine as is similarly for people who have, well, for people who struggle with greed, um, greed says, I'm not okay till I have that amazing car. I'm not really okay till I have that amazing house. I'm not really okay until I have that amazing watch on my wrist with gold up in it. Um, you know, contentment says, oh, I like cars, I like jobs, I, I like watches and houses, and all, but, but I'm okay right now. I'll give you one more thing, you know, just conceptual to look at. Lust, we think of lust as being about sex. It's not. You can lust after anything. Lust is the thought If you had X, you'd be happy. X is the thing that stands between you and happiness. And that's part of why Jesus said, if you lust after a person in your heart, you've already slept with them. Because there's something about human behavior. If we decide, if I just had X, I'd be happy, you're going to find a way to hook that up. Guaranteed. That, the wheels are already spinning on that. It's already in motion. It's just a matter of time. Contentment, at least to me, is much more about saying, I don't need that to be okay. I don't yeah. need that to be happy. It's not that I don't like watches. It's not that I don't like cars. It's not that I don't like houses. It's not that I don't like career advancement. But I don't need those things to be okay. Now on the balance, contentment also recognizes that a certain amount of growth is a normal, healthy part of life. It's, it's one thing to say, I don't need this C-suite job to be okay. It's another, it's another to say, I never want to advance in my career at all because to want that is bad. Now that's just... That's just unhealthy. I mean, normal, healthy life involves a, a certain amount of advancement. So there, there is a balance in between. But contentment in a big picture sense is saying, I'm not waiting for something else to enter my life for me to be happy and at peace and okay.
0: I think that's a really fantastic place to start this off. I think that sets us up perfectly. And Lee, maybe let's expand on that a little more. I think the, the, the really capper of the amazing stuff Jeff was saying there was that idea of the balance of this, this idea between you got to keep growing, but you can be content is I'm not waiting. There uh-huh. are good things now, there will be good things later, but I'm not waiting for those to feel that. So let's explore that a little more.
2: Yeah, I love this idea of of kind of parsing out the difference between some of the some of the like kind of worldly ambitions and stuff like that with with what, you know, the Lord may be doing in our life. And what I mean by that is uh, to go exactly with the way that you the way that you put the question is that there is an idea with with certain kind of worldly aims and worldly perspectives of, I am not acceptable until. Like Jeb was saying, I won't be happy until I have this or achieve this or whatever. And there's another side to that too, with the discontentment of, I am not acceptable until... Yeah. Um, And what that comes down to is where do you get or place your personal value or your worth? So my worth is dependent upon, you know, such and such a job. You know, I have a friend who, you know, his dad got offered a gigantic promotion. It's going to take him to a different city at a very important point in my friend's life. And what he wants to be able to say is, Dad... I'd rather you be around. Um, but for his dad, he's saying, they're going to double my salary. I've got to do this. Um, what you see there is it, this is not really about money. Um, this is about this sense of worth and security. If I do this, then I will have arrived. I will have become this person or whatever. And the the fact is that a situation like that you're always going to be chasing that worth the contentment that we have as somebody who knows Jesus is i am acceptable to god right now um i am God looks at me and he is pleased with me because uh, Jesus has paid for me, so I'm not under, I don't have any guilt or shame or anything like that. God loves me and he accepts me and I have worth as his child. Now, within that, just as Jed said, I have a joy in moving forward and working on my growing edges, learning about my blind spots, and growing closer to the Lord and closer to my friends as we walk with the Lord together. This is a joyful and an awesome process that doesn't have anything to do with contentment, because contentment tells me I don't need anything in order, in order to prove my worth. My worth is sealed as a child of God, and so i can move forward if i have if i have ambitions in my job if i have a chance to advance and, and to earn more money or to you know to get a, a you know a better this or that or whatever that there is nothing wrong with some of those pursuits the question is is it tied to my worth or not Uh, My contentment is, as a person that knows Jesus, is I am acceptable as His today, and I don't need a degree, and I don't need a better job, and I don't need a bigger salary to prove my worth. My worth is sealed. I'm a child of God. But within that, I can grow, and growing is good, and there's nothing wrong with ambition. And as Jed said, there's nothing wrong with money. I mean, there's nothing wrong with any of these things. If I put it in the right perspective, this is not my worth. This is not where I place my value, but I can always grow, and growing feels good.
0: Absolutely, and Glenn, I'd love for you to close us out here. And uh, part of what it's we've been looking at here and the, the really great stuff that both of you is kind of the answer of, how do I do these two seemingly conflicting things at the both at the same time is you just kind of do them both. Right. But um, there is kind of, I think we can look at an order of operations. It's not Mm. necessarily that you have to do one and not the other, but there's a way to balance these out in the way you look at things that'll make it easier to achieve this balance. These guys are looking at Right.
1: Well, absolutely right. You're, you're, you're trying to balance a piece and, you know, as you say, growing and running the race. Uh, that's about putting the peace first. Mm. Uh, you have to have a certain amount of peace in order to have that sense of why am I doing this? Why, yeah. What is the priority here? Yeah. Uh, all of these guys are talking about contentment. Uh, if you have that peace, you're in a place where you can find that sense of contentment. You can tap into it. You can access it. Then, when you're moving forward to run that race, you're more focused. You're you're more clear about what's going on here, but then at some point of running that race, you're gonna run out of peace. Yep. Then you need to stop running the race and get you some more peace. That's how this works. Uh, what I just prescribed there is what exactly nobody does
2: <laughs> yep. uh,
1: in the world. So, and I don't either. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about ideals here. Uh, so let's talk about the, the the reality of this first and foremost. Very few people are running the race that's marked out for them. Yeah. That's what the Bible says, you know, that we're we're supposed to run, you know, cast off all the the sin that entangles us and everything that hinders us and run with perseverance. This race is marked out for us. Uh, That is very few people are doing that. And uh, what a lot of people are doing, as these other fellows are suggesting, is they're creating a mentality of. Sort of baptizing accomplishment.
3: Yeah. Mm.
1: All accomplishment is holy. So if I get a PhD, that's just good. Sure, inherently. Mm. Inherently, that's good. Why? On what level is that inherently good? (laughs) What is one inherently good thing? Well, you can have more money. Really? You never knew anybody that had more money and did something sinful because they had more money? I (laughs) mean— Can't think of
3: any prominent examples, no.
1: uh, It's hard to be tempted by money if you don't have any, so there's,
3: you know— That's why Notorious B.I.G. wrote his hit single, Mo Money, Mo Holiness. That's right. It was all the rage. (laughs) That's
1: right. Um, Well, you know, you'll have more stability in your life. Really? You get that job and that amazing, you know, as, as Jed's talking about the corner suite and all that. And there's no chance that that industry could just go kaboom. Tomorrow. There's no chance of that.
3: It's a golden age that'll last forever.
1: I mean, you could you could work for the world's best company and find out that the CEO was doing something shady. Nobody had any way of knowing or predicting. The whole right. thing shot out of from underneath you and you're right back where you got started. There's no guarantees in life. That's the you know, the idea that accomplishment gives you some form of security is idolatry for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. It's nothing holy about that at all. <laughs> Uh, But we do have this sense that there's a discipline to accomplishment, there's a follow-through to it, there's a consistency to it, and that gives us a religious feeling of devotion and holiness and what have you. Uh, Running the race that's marked out for us, here. let me give you one simple principle about that. Do you ever feel like there's not enough hours in a day to get done all the stuff that you're trying to get done? Okay, if you said yes to that, let let me give you a simple truth. God is not giving you more to do in a day than there are hours in a day to get it done. Hmm. That means you're adding in extra stuff. That is not hmm. the race that's marked out for you. And if that is sapping your level of peace and keeping you from running that race with uh, perseverance, as the Bible is saying, uh, then that thing is actually the sin that you need to get rid of in order to run that race. It's taking away that sense of of, of peace and, and contentment that these other fellows are talking about. So that sense of overloading our schedule as a way of feeling diligent and responsible and all of that, we're almost by definition outside of yeah. what God is looking for us to do. So uh, I think in all of this, it's about uh, uh, getting the equipping that you need in order to run that race. Am I am I do I have the peace? Do I have the contentment? Do I have my backup system and support system? Do I have my rest? Do I have all my induction in roads so I can accomplish this without burning myself out and 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 overloading myself and end up sabotaging and destroying the whole process?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at that of, you know, when you have these two things that seemingly seem like they're on opposite ends, um, they are exactly as Jed and Lee are describing here part of a balanced Christian life, but we have to balance them in the right way. Yeah. You know, as as Jed and Lee are talking about, you can't just sit around and wait until you feel amazing contentment to start moving. You can't sit around and wait until you've moved enough that you've grown enough that you feel like you can feel good about this. You got to do some feeling good about where we are and some looking for that next place God's moving us to. And as uh, we talked about momentum on a previous question, once you start doing that, it gets a lot easier to do that once you're in motion. All right, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgecago.tumblr.com. We're taking out a song this week. Uh, this is from our February edition of Bridgebox. It's about to get country up in here. Oh, yeah. That oh. our good friend Shane Wilson yeah. helped us out on this mix, did an amazing job. With, this is a what Jed has dubbed the big country version of his worship song. So here I am. We're taking out with that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. Nothing you can do about it. The
1: Say That podcast, inventing new church doodads that you have to do now and not criticize. New church doodad, Mountain Dew baptism. <laughs> <laughs>